Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, November 16th, Pete Davidson's birthday, which we'll tell you about in this podcast. <laughs> I'm Mo Nunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. We read the news so you don't have to. I tried my best today, Jill, including getting to Pete Davidson's birthday, which we'll tell you more about and why we're talking about him later in this podcast. All right, let's get to it. It's official. Former President Trump is running for president yet again. Russia fires a rocket that lands in Poland. What this means for the broader Ukraine war. Alexa, I think I have strep throat. Amazon's taking another step into the healthcare space. In other health news, a new study looks at what's worse for your lungs, cigarette smoke or marijuana. A Beyonce Adele rematch at the Grammys. And who is Pete Davidson dating now? If ever there was a reason to listen to the end of this podcast, Mosh, that's it. <laughs> well, who isn't he dating? Who isn't he dating? I saw a meme, actually, that uh, first 10 minutes in heaven, he's going to be next to Marilyn Monroe. It sounds about right um, at this pace that he's going. Let's start with President Trump, who is hoping third time's the charm on Tuesday night at his Mar-a-Lago resort. Donald Trump announced that he is running for president in 2024. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. My fellow citizens, America's comeback starts right now. It sets up a potential rematch with President Biden if he also chooses to run for re-election. And it all comes just a week after the midterm elections when voters rejected a number of Trump's handpicked candidates in key Senate races. So, Mosh, what are your big takeaways from his announcement? Jill, it was a fascinating address. Uh, nearly 70 minutes. His advisors actually said that he would only go on for about 20 minutes, but he went on and on. Uh, they are really trying to get him to focus on the future, though he did spend a good part of the speech looking back on the 2016 campaign, uh, looking back on the 2020 campaign and his losses there. He called himself a huge victim. He uh, focused on his victimhood for a bit there in the speech. Actually, the speech went on for so long that several of the networks, including Fox News, cut away from it. Actually, Fox cut away when he was going on a a whole tangent about Angela Merkel, the former German chancellor. Um, Either way, it'll be really compelling to watch these next 14 months to see how the Republican Party reacts. Remember, Republican voters, they're going to be the ones deciding their next nominee. Uh, The big question is who will run against him, but how will they react to hearing from him, likely daily, for the next 14 months before the votes begin in January 2024 um, in that primary campaign. I should note he also spent some time uh, basically blaming uh, Biden for everything bad in the last two years, saying he left America in a great place in a uh, time for its golden age, even though if you recall back in 2020, we were sort of height of COVID, uh, post-economic collapse, etc. He also said that if he was president, uh, everything would be peace- peaceful, uh, Putin would have invaded Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's a lot, a lot to take in from last night. The big question right now, Jill, is will he continue to be Teflon Don, as he's been called, where nothing sticks to him? You know, we thought at times Republicans thought he was down in 2016. He eventually becomes president. During his presidency, he was impeached once and then, of course, impeached again just after his presidency. Uh, he lost, by the way, people forget this, 2020 by a very slim margin. While he did lose the popular vote by about 7 million, if you look at the Electoral College and the key states that he lost, if 60,000 votes change hands in four states in 2020, he wins re-election. So there was a nail-biter in 2016, basically a nail-biter in 2020. So now what's next? 
So far, Trump has consistently outpolled his potential primary rivals. Uh, you know, he continues to demonstrate unrivaled fundraising prowess. But will the party stick with him now that we've had these 2022 midterm losses where they did not do as well as Republicans expected? Back in 2018, uh, you know, he they lost the House. In 2020, they lost. And now you're looking at 2018 losses, 2020 losses, 2022 Losses. So a lot of Republicans right now are looking at people like Ron DeSantis, who won his second term in Florida by about 20 points. Uh, and if you look at some polls, Jill, that just came out in the last couple of days, including polls by Republican groups who clearly are not wanting Trump to come back. Right now, DeSantis is beating Trump in Iowa, New Hampshire, Florida, all key early states, as well as Texas, even Texas, as well as nationally among Republicans. You know, as I was putting together this podcast, I did a quick Google search for Donald Trump. And my favorite headline was from New York Magazine. Ivanka and Jared are quiet quitting Donald Trump. The gist is that this time around, don't expect to see a whole lot of Ivanka and Jared. They reportedly want nothing to do with his campaign or D.C. for that matter. Per the New York Post, quote, they both feel they got burned in Washington and don't want to go back and expose themselves and their children to another bitter campaign. The New York Times is reporting that Jared Kushner pretty much washed his hands of Trump immediately after Election Day 2020, wanting no part in these stolen election lies. Yeah, Jared put out a book uh, recently where he sort of danced around this. Jill, to have been a fly on the wall at the Tiffany Trump wedding over the weekend in Mar-a-Lago, um, where all of them were together, I imagine this was the hot topic. And this will be the big question. Who will want to be a part of this? He went through a lot of people in those first four years, and it usually ended pretty badly. You know, usually a Trump advisor uh, ends their time with Trump where he trashes them, blames them for their mistakes. Uh, so given that, who will want to be a part of this? At the same time, it's all about winning. And so somehow, if he can get through this, which we'll see, you know, I don't, I don't count him out ever, just given what we've seen these past four years. I imagine if he's the nominee again, a lot of Republicans will be like, listen, I got to support the party. Moshe, I'm also curious, though, about Democrats. I was listening to your podcast yesterday. I think one of the biggest takeaways that I had was that it's Jill Biden who's going to be deciding whether or not Joe Biden runs again. I have to think that she's going to maybe that's their out or whatnot. I have to think that's his way of saying that he's probably not going to run again. Yeah. If people remember in 2016, he was set to run uh, against Hillary and he pulls out because Bo Biden, uh, his son dies. So, you know, he's used family in the past saying he's just not in the right mindset for things. Uh, they're going to be making uh, major decisions over Thanksgiving about this. And he'll be making his announcement in uh, the early winter, January, February or so. But it's going to be a long uh, 14 months here until the first votes, Jill, in January of 2024. Uh, and then you'll have a five-month primary cycle. And so then you'll have 80-year-old Joe Biden going into 81-year-old Joe Biden against 77-year-old Donald Trump going into 78-year-old Donald Trump, which is insane. And by the way, I want to throw out one more historical fact. Herbert Hoover was the last former president to try to take back office after losing after his first term, this was in 1940. I actually didn't know about this. I Googled it. Uh, he actually, even his party in 1940 was like, FDR had served two terms. And he and they're like, dude, what are you doing trying to come back here? Remember the Great Depression? And so Hoover was like basically knocked out. The last president to do it successfully, though, this is the third day in a row, Jill. I'm mentioning Grover Cleveland. <laughs> Grover <laughs> Cleveland. You're going to hear a lot about him. Last president, 1800s, won a term, lost a term, won a term. Trump's trying to do that. Moshe is obsessed with Grover Cleveland. Just if, if you get nothing else from this podcast, get that. That him and Millard Fillmore and Franklin <laughs> Pierce. There's a lot of uh, random presidents in the 1800s. 
by the way, when you look into it, like there's a total creep factor to Grover. He was 48, married a 21 year old who he had like taken care of. As, like there's just some, there's so many weird presidents in the 1800s that, that like, I we think don't get enough. We should do a full uh, podcast on that. Just fun facts, fun presidential facts. We could do it on President's Day, maybe it's in coming February. Up. Yes, yeah, we got a we we got a couple months. All right. Um, meanwhile, in Congress, Kevin McCarthy of California overwhelmingly won the Republican nomination for Speaker. He easily defeated a challenge from far right Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona. That vote one eighty eight to thirty one. Yeah. So McCarthy survives for another day, but the big deal here. If Republicans, as they're expected to, will have a very slim majority, McCarthy to be the next speaker will need literally every single vote. They might only have a one seat or two seat majority. They need 218 seats to uh, have the majority. So he's going to have like this far right wing of the caucus who is not happy with that he will have to uh, win over over the course of the next six weeks. Uh, at the same time, Senator McConnell, he's having trouble with his caucus. You know, keep in mind here, this is a very disappointing midterms for Republicans. So he's facing today, there's expected to be a vote among Senate Republicans about his leadership after more than a decade. Right now, Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, is going to be challenging him for leadership. So look out for headlines today to see whether McConnell survives uh, over on the Senate side. All right, Jill, let's head overseas and Russia's war in Ukraine. A potentially dangerous escalation took place on Tuesday as Poland accused Russia of firing a missile that landed across the border inside of Poland. Two people were killed. Uh, The Russians right now are denying any involvement, even if the missile was unintentional from Russia. This still could have huge consequences. Uh, Poland has already decided to increase the readiness of some of its military units. And keep in mind here that Poland is part of NATO. Now, what's notable is that President Biden overnight uh, was speaking to the media in Indonesia. That's where the big G7 summit is happening of the uh, seven largest economies in the world. Uh, For his part, Biden said that it was unlikely that the missile was fired from Russia, though he didn't explain where the missile could have come from. Keep in mind that Russian weaponry is used by the Ukrainians, is used by nearby Belarus. So an investigation will take place here. The U.S. says it will be assisting the Polish um, in this investigation. Uh, NATO will be part of it as well. The big concern here is the concern we've had since the beginning of the war, that uh, the longer this war goes on, and we're now in the ninth month, that an accident might happen, even if unintentional, uh, that could escalate things. And of course, there's a whole bunch of NATO countries uh, on the border there. This landed just about 16 miles over the Ukrainian border inside of Poland. The NATO Secretary General is uh, playing wait and see right now. He says that it's important that all facts are established. Right now, you're going to be hearing in the next couple of days a lot of articles, NATO articles. Uh, Poland is considering Article 4 of the NATO Convention. That article allows members to basically investigate the issue. The big article, uh, and obviously with Biden saying this didn't come from the Russians, this is probably less of a threat now, is Article 5. That is Article 5 of the NATO Treaty, which invokes uh, that an attack against one ally is an attack on all allies. That's the big concern here. If any NATO country, there's 30-something now, uh, is attacked, all countries are obligated uh, to help them. It, is all, it has only ever been invoked once in response to 9-11 when NATO uh, backed up the U.S. in support uh, in the war in Afghanistan following those terror attacks. Moj, I know I made this point on the last podcast. It, it, it calls to question again, what is the end game? How does this end? How do we all get out of this thing alive? Yeah. And by the way, you can look at wars through history, Jill, whether it's Vietnam, uh, World War One, World War Two, where like 
a single assassination or a single miss, you know, missile can really escalate things. And that is the, that is why we should never take peace for granted that wars have accidents. It pisses people off. Things get escalated. People uh, are confused by things. People mislead each other. And that's the concern is, is how can things cool down after what took place yesterday? In other news, the planet is um, getting a little bit more crowded, according to the UN. As I say that, it's like, can't we all just get along? Um, <laughs> I was going to say I was on the New York City subway today. So, yes, I felt the uh, world a little <laughs> more crowded today. Well, according to the UN, the world's population has now hit 8 billion just 12 years after passing 7 billion. A century ago, there were only about 2 billion people living on the planet. We could thank advances in public health and medicine, allowing more kids to survive into adulthood. The UN predicts there will be about 10.4 billion by 2100. It's actually down from initial estimates of 11 billion, but it's up from estimates a few years ago. The thinking is that China's population may have peaked. There are higher estimates, though, in fertility in big countries like Pakistan. So big picture here, demographers agree the human population is growing quite quickly, but the growth is starting to slow down, if any of that makes sense. Within a few decades, though, Earth's population will begin to shrink. Jill, I sort of love this story. Uh, I, I saw it actually like late last night and I was like nerding out on the numbers and I was like, wait, because <laughs> I remember when we were growing up, it was 6 billion and I somehow have been stuck on the earth having 6 billion people for 20 years when it turns out we've actually gained 2 billion people in just over 20 years, which is crazy to think. So then I'm like looking back and it took us 300,000 years from the beginning of Homo sapiens to get to 1 billion, which we hit in 1804. So 1804, 1 billion, 1927, 2 billion. And then the 20th century, we just blow up. 3 billion in 1960, 4 billion in 1974. And then we've doubled since 1974 from 4 billion to 8 billion people. But it's not all uh, the same in all the regions, as you mentioned, right? Some are growing faster than others. Some are shrinking. Europe, US, shrinking. Asia, starting to shrink. Africa still gaining. So one really interesting example, Nigeria has a population of just over 200 million right now, Jill. They're expected to grow to 800 million people in Nigeria in just the next few decades. There is a, a chance that after 2050, Nigeria could quickly surpass China as China begins to shrink. In fact, any day now, right now, China will no longer be the most populous country. It'll be India. Half the population, more than 4 billion people, are just in seven countries. China, India, US, Indonesia, Pakistan, Nigeria, Brazil. Um, and then looking at these projections, they're all over the place. But one interesting thing, Jill, there was this study in Nature that I posted on the Instagram account last night. And it uh, came out a few years ago. And they say that the projections change based on women's development and education. The more women that are educated and given opportunities and less viewed as just baby makers in some of these countries, the fact that we'll have less population growth. You know, And so a lot of this... It's a good sign in some ways that we don't have this exponential growth of the global population. Also, we got to feed all these people. At the same time, losing population is not a great thing for economic development. So you sort of live in this middle ground. I love seeing most the stories that you nerd out on. And for me, <laughs> I obviously I still have a newborn, of course. And so I'm getting up in the middle of the night and I will do what you're not supposed to do and check Instagram. And I'll see like 10 stories on your feed about one <laughs> topic. I'm like, yeah. okay, Mosh is very into this population growth story. I, I get it. Um, so I just, it's always, always fun for me to figure out which stories are, are going to really, you know, get you. Jill, and on any given day, it could be a debate about whether to use a top sheet 
<laughs> Thank you to Bowling Branch for sponsoring the Instagram account now. But um, or it's the global population. But I think this is a fascinating thing. And you know, we one of the big things also that I was reading about in this story, Jill, is climate change, and that's going to impact things. You know, that if if major farmland is no longer uh, you can't grow agriculture, how are you going to feed everyone? And that's where some biotech might need to come in, or you know, the water is drying up in certain regions. So that's going to really impact this as well. I just you know what I guess living in New York where it's so, it feels so overcrowded. I just cannot imagine any more people on this planet. But when you actually think about it, so much of of the land is not currently, is not built upon. Canada. There's a lot of land in Canada. <laughs> if you take a helicopter over Long Island where I live, it's it's actually sad how developed it is. There's just such little free, you there's know. There's no room. Just, just, there's just nothing. There's no room. Uh, every inch of this place has a shopping center or a house. Yeah. So, um, and one thing to keep in mind is a larger conversation in the U.S. is also our population growth. That when you see countries that are losing population, like Italy, like Russia, like Japan, that's bad for the economy. So we we live in this weird situation here where the world at times, you know, how are we going to feed all these people? But at the same time. You need population growth, especially as we built an economy here where younger people working pay for Social Security. So the less people that are the less younger people you have, the more difficult you have uh, taking care of all your old people. So we have conundrums here. And and one thing I took away from this, all these stories really is that countries have to come together here, especially in the wake of climate change, uh, to work together here. Uh, when it comes to feeding each other's populations, et cetera. And we're seeing this impact right now with the Ukraine war. Um, you know, it, a major wheat supply comes from Russia and Ukraine. And right now we're seeing the impact of the lack of those crops going around the world in places like sub-Saharan Africa. And where are people going to live? You mentioned global warming. There are places that might, if the earth continues to warm as expected, that just might be uninhabitable. Yeah, I mean, what, one thing I nerded out on a couple months ago actually was what's happening in certain parts of the Middle East, Basra. If you know that port city in Iraq, it's about a city of a million people. Their summers are now getting towards 140 degrees, Jill, um, and approaching, a you know, it could be approaching a heat index of 150 there in the coming decade. That's uninhabitable. Like at some point, you won't be able to live there anymore. People will have to move to another place. And so where do those people go? You know, you're, you're going to keep hearing talk in the coming decades of climate refugees. Um, so I don't mean to depress folks, but there are major global uh, challenges that we're going to have to face here that underlie the larger population number you saw today. Jill, I know we have a lot more to get to in this podcast, but uh, we have sponsors now in the Mo News podcast. And our first big sponsor this week is Athletic Greens. I just started taking the AG1 supplement a couple of weeks ago, and I'm excited to share my experience with you and all the listeners about it, Jill, uh, I know we're getting some to you soon, right? And I need him. I, I <laughs> this sounds like exactly what I need for this point in my life, where I'm unfortunately a bit sleep deprived and could use all of the the good stuff that's that's in this. So trying to get all your vitamins in can be hard to keep track of and can get pricey. I was actually previously taking some vitamins with breakfast, some with lunch, some others with dinner, uh, but I've switched now over to the AG One supplement a few weeks ago. Uh, it's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. I found the experience to be simple and affordable. That powder, by the way, Jill, contains 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics for gut health, all of this uh, for a strong immune system. As we head into the cold and flu season right now, it's your nutritional insurance policy. And the good news 
is Athletic Greens is giving all Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their immune-supporting vitamin D as well as five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can head over to athleticgreens.com backslash Mo News. We'll have a link in the show notes to learn more about all that AG1 can do for your health. Take advantage of that offer. You can get a monthly subscription or, or just try it for one month. Again, it's athleticgreens.com backslash Mo News, M-O-N-E-W-S, to take ownership of your health and pick up what they're calling the ultimate daily nutritional insurance, Jill. All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Mo News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bull and Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. All right, time for the speed read. Mosh, kick it off. So this comes to us. We're going to start here with Bleacher Report, Jill. In the wake of that campus shooting that killed three football players on Sunday, the University of Virginia remains undecided as to whether it'll continue its football season. The athletic director was quoted as saying, it will be a discussion with the coach and the team in the coming days. Right now, the UVA football team is scheduled to face Coastal Carolina this Saturday. Linebacker Deshaun Perry and wide receivers Devin Chandler and Lavelle Davis Jr. were shot and killed on a charter bus over the weekend after getting back to campus from a class field trip in D.C. And running back Mike Hallins was also shot. He remains in critical condition after undergoing a second surgery yesterday morning. And we are learning more about Christopher Darnell Jones, the 22-year-old accused of killing the men. Jones is a former football player. He faces three counts of second-degree murder and three counts of using a handgun in the commission of a felony. Jones was facing school disciplinary action after UVA officials learned he failed to disclose his conviction last year on a concealed weapons charge. As they learn more, authorities say they still do not fully understand what his possible motive was here. His father, Chris Jones Sr., telling a local TV station that his son was, quote, real paranoid about something. He wouldn't tell me everything. The victims, again, had just returned from a school field trip late Sunday when Joan shot them. Horrible. Really, I mean, just horrific. Jill, it's just so tragic. You know, it's always interesting when you hear that they're trying to get to the motive of the mass shooter. And you're like, well, does that matter to the friends and family of those who died? The, uh, you know, dozens of students who witnessed uh, the terrible, terrible shooting and and the entire campus that's really mourning right now. By the way, Jill, crazy coincidence, there was also a shooting at the University of Idaho over the weekend, completely separate incident, four students dead. They're still investigating that. Uh, and we're awaiting more details, uh, which, you know, we ho- hope to learn in the coming days. And we'll bring you that on a, on a future podcast. I think you make a great point about the motive. You know, you're basically they're trying to make sense of something that it doesn't make sense and it never will. 
You know, there there is yeah. no reason to take anybody else's life, no matter what the motive is. Um, obviously, you want to have some insight into what was going on behind the scenes, but I, I think that that was well said. Okay, from Healthline, amoxicillin shortage. Some forms of this common antibiotic are in short supply. A post-COVID-19 surge in upper respiratory infections may be driving demand for the liquid form of the antibiotic amoxicillin, prompting the FDA to issue an alert about supply shortages. In particular, officials say the shortage could be due to the rise in cases of flu and RSV in children. Jill, I'm hearing from tons of parents on Instagram right now who have been saying they're having such a difficult time finding amoxicillin, especially the liquid form. That's where you're seeing the shortage, not the tablet form, but obviously that's easier to give kids. You're calling third, fourth, fifth pharmacies to try to find it. It's very widely used. Notably, though, it doesn't directly treat RSV or the flu, which are viral. Amoxicillin treats bacterial things. Uh, And so ultimately, um, with the surge, though, of RSV and the flu right now, that's why you're seeing so many prescriptions for it. Right. What happens, um, and unfortunately, I know this all too well from some firsthand experience, what happens is kids especially, they might get the flu or another one of these... uh, upper respiratory viruses, and it will cause an ear infection or something that you do need an antibiotic for. And I've been dealing, I, last year there was, um, Tamiflu was a little bit in short supply also because it was at the end of the flu season. And I remember having to call four or five different pharmacies and it's just like the last thing that you need when your kid is sick you just want to be able to get medicine. As I read this story, I actually saw it first on your Instagram feed. I just thought, what else can parents take? Um, I mean, <laughs> right. what else Formula is there? Formula shortage. We're on, um, what, what are we on? We're on two plus years, almost three years of a pandemic. Factor in, you know, s- formula shortage, a tampon shortage. It's just like enough already. I I can't even imagine how frustrating it is right now. Um, For what it's worth, Jill, in all the stories I read, doctors are like, don't freak out. Don't freak out. You can find it. It's not like completely missing in the country. You just have to do a little more work for it. Uh, Though ultimately, they also say there are alternatives to amoxicillin. Talk to your doctor about those alternatives if uh, no pharmacy in your area is in short supply, though really it depends. In some areas, Walgreens has it. Walmart doesn't. In some areas, Walmart has it. Walgreens doesn't. That's among the factors here. Jill, you also found a good stat earlier today about the number of Americans who are missing work uh, because of childcare issues. More than 100,000 Americans missed work in October. That's an all-time high. That's even greater than during the height of the pandemic um, as parents are taking care of their kids. Staying on the health beat from Engadget, Amazon Clinic is a virtual healthcare service over text chat. Amazon has launched a new virtual health service. It gives you a way to consult healthcare professionals for common conditions and get prescriptions for them without even having to make a video call. But your condition has to be on the list of accepted conditions. So this includes things like acne, hair loss, acid reflux, pink eye, sinusitis, and UTI. Alexa, I'm balding. What can I do? <laughs> I, Jill, this is Wear the latest. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Alexa, getting a little snarky today. So this is the latest push by Amazon into the healthcare space. It launched Amazon Pharmacy just a couple of years ago to deliver discounted prescription meds to Prime members. Uh, and this comes as Amazon really broadens its reach into every corner of our lives, Jill. Grocery stores, video streaming. Home devices like Alexa. Thank God I turned mine off, by the way, because she would be replying to me right now. Um, And then, of course, just you can buy everything, right? And so some of these efforts have come under scrutiny from activists, from lawmakers. We'll see if Congress uh, decides to take this on. 
Uh, I guess the positive news, uh, Jill, it's more money for Jeff Bezos. He promised to give away all $124 billion yesterday. So if you uh, sign up for the Amazon healthcare space, know that at some point, some of this money is going to charity. You know what, though, Moshe, in some ways, I feel like Amazon, yes, as you mentioned, it's got its hand in everything. But I do think the healthcare industry is really ripe for disruption. There's so much that's wrong with it that it feels like if Amazon can get in there and and perhaps what their business model always is focused on consumers and perhaps it, it will be focused on consumers again, maybe this might make our lives easier. Oh, totally. I mean, it's it's no accident that Bezos is getting into it, that Mark Cuban, another billionaire, is getting into it with his uh, cost plus drugs. So yes, I mean, nobody likes what the state of the healthcare system is right now, except maybe if you're like an insurance company executive, uh, because the rest of us, it's a pain. And so I think that disruption is good. Is disruption by the largest company on earth good? Uh, remains to be seen. <laughs> All right, Jill, this comes to us from USA Today. Smoking marijuana may do more damage to lungs than cigarettes, a new study suggests. The study published on Tuesday in the peer-reviewed journal Radiology. I know you read that all the time. It found that- I do. Yeah, no, Radiology, huge for you. Um, We do try to read all the news so you don't have to. And so Jill's on the Radiology beat. It found that marijuana may be linked to an increased risk of emphysema over smoking tobacco alone. The results come as- More states continue to legalize the drug. It was actually on the ballot last week. I think the Dakotas went against it. Missouri and one other state that escapes me now, maybe Arkansas, legalized it. And now we have about 21 states where it's totally legal. Jill, one quote from a pulmonologist in one of these stories, David Kaminsky, uh, struck me. He told uh, the reporters, quote, it's no surprise to me. Thanks, David. Uh, A burning leaf is a burning (laughs) leaf. The lung doesn't know the difference if it's tobacco or marijuana. I happen to love that quote as well. Um, We should note there are some limitations to the study. It's difficult, according to health experts, to directly compare tobacco and marijuana risks. Um, And a lot of people that they looked at also that smoked marijuana also smoked uh, smoked tobacco. But it's, it's, it's really worth studying this more, I think, especially as like we've been so quick to legalize it. At the same time, though, as you think about it, Jill, cigarettes are legal and people get cancer from it. And uh, alcohol is legal and, you know, people can destroy their livers with it. Uh, So I guess, you know, marijuana is just becoming legal everywhere. And it's up to you to know the ramifications of, uh, you know, smoking it, especially excessively. From USA Today, Beyonce leads 2023 Grammy nominations, ties Jay-Z for the most nods ever. It looks like 2017 all over again. Beyonce and Adele once again going head to head in this year's Grammy Awards nominations. They are both nominated for Album of the Year. Beyonce for Renaissance and Adele for 30. The music superstars also vying for record and song of the year. So Beyonce is for Break My Soul and Adele is for Easy On Me. So we started with politics here, Jill, where it is 2017, 2016 all over again. I guess the Grammys are following that theme. Trump v. Biden all over again. Beyonce, Adele. Though I think I much prefer covering the Beyonce-Adele battle than Trump-Biden all over again. So, Jill, in that battle five years ago, the Adele-Beyonce one, not the political one, Adele's 25 went up against uh, Beyonce's Lemonade and beat Lemonade. That upset win actually sparked a bunch of backlash. It even drew an apology of sorts, if you remember, from Adele herself, who told journalists after the show, my album of the year was Lemonade. It was her time to win. So it'll be very interesting to see uh, how this all plays out. Also interesting is who got snubbed this year. Kanye West, Megan Thee Stallion, Morgan Whalen. 
ignored in the 2023 Grammy nominations. As you were talking, though, about 2017 and also 2016, so much um, simpler and nicer times. Uh, this was like pre-raging anti-Semite Kanye West, I, you know, pre-COVID, pre-pandemic. It just felt like we were so innocent back then. We're <laughs> I, I, I would go, though, Jill, with before 2016. I just feel like 2016 was such a... That polit- that political fight was so something, but uh, it was so nasty. Yeah, it was so nasty. It was so nasty. I guess so. But but what's interesting, as you mentioned, who was snubbed? Obviously, Kanye had his issues. Morgan Wallet had his own issues this year. He was caught using the N word outside of his home last year, and so he dealt with a, a whole bunch of issues. So it's interesting that you know what to what extent those issues for Wallen and Kanye may have played a role here. In other celeb news from People.com, Pete Davidson is getting to know actress and model Emily Ratajkowski. A source close to Davidson tells People that they are seeing each other. (laughs) They've been spotted together in New York City. I love that, right? Like, what does that even mean? Just say they're dating. Uh, Representatives for both not commenting or responding to People's requests for comment. Davidson recently linked to Kim Kardashian and Ariana Grande, amongst others, Imrata officially divorced back in September, and she had previously been linked to Brad Pitt as well. So we actually spotted her and her then-husband, now ex-husband, a few times in Tribeca, Jill. Um, Alex and I lived- We meaning you and Alex? Yeah, me and Alex. Like, we lived a few blocks away, and they lived uh, right across. There's a restaurant there called Odeon, and they lived right across the street. They would often be there, you know, eating outside or whatever. And some people were calling this for a while that like, especially when she got divorced and Pete uh, broke up with Kim, that they would end up together. First, I should say, Jill, happy birthday to Pete Davidson. He is 30 years old today, which is pretty remarkable as I was researching the story. If we're looking at his dating in his 20s, so you mentioned Ariana Grande, Kim Kardashian. Uh, For a while, when he was 25 and Kate Beckinsale was 45, he dated Kate Beckinsale. He also dated Kaya Gerber, who is Cindy Crawford's daughter. He dated Cassie David, who's Larry David's daughter. He um, dated uh, Phoebe Divinor, uh, who plays Daphne from Bridgerton. I mean, he's had quite a jam-packed dating life in just uh, his 20s. So obviously it begs the question, what's going on? Yeah. What does Pete Davidson have that, that right. <laughs> others Jill, don't? Jill, you've been doing research on this. So Kanye, um, so obviously take this all with a grain of salt, but apparently he went on this crazy rant about how Pete Davidson is quite well endowed. Mm. So perhaps that it could be it. I also think part of this is, have you, I assume you've saw Can't Buy Me Love many moons ago. I think it came out in the 80s. Um, you know, it could be one of those like how, you know, Ron, Ronald Miller wanted to date Cindy Mancini. And she he said, if we date, you know, it'll make me popular and all of your friends will want to date me. And it did. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if there's part of that, right? Where, a Kim K thinks, oh, well, he dated Ariana Grande. And then the next person thinks, oh, he dated Kim Kardashian. He's got to have something, it's, you know. And, it's and all it, based it's on the resume. Like You're that. like, this resume yes. on paper, like I should probably be dating this guy based on, I mean, he's done a very good job building his resume through his 20s. I also think, Jill, people like a funny guy. So, you know, that's got to play a role here too. It's so funny because as you say that, it's like, 
of course, I didn't think that he might actually just be a great guy. He might be really <laughs> funny and a lovely person and treat women well. No, it's got to be something else. Yeah. Well, it could be a combination of all the factors. And by the way, uh, I'll leave you with this. He typically, a couple months in, uh, gets a tattoo uh, related to the women, right? He like tattoos their name or their initials or their kid's name. I don't know. With, with each of them, it's been something different. So, um, you know, we'll see uh, how long until he uh, gets tatted up for Emily. Um, if given how long this relationship might last. But for somebody who dates so much, he probably shouldn't get permanent tattoos. Not that there's any other kind of tattoos. He just should not get tattooed with their names. Yeah, no, maybe that's something he'll embrace in his 30s, Jill. With that, um, I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. You can follow or subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single episode. Do it on the app right now. I dare you. Uh, also, please review us in the App Store. Every review makes a difference. If you can take a moment to do that, we'd be very grateful. It helps us continue to grow this show. And uh, I want to thank everyone for joining me on the Instagram Live last night. Uh, you can follow uh, the latest and greatest over on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. We're using the reverse psychology that I use with my toddler. I bet you can't figure out how to leave us a review. <laughs> oh, you think you can? Okay, prove it. Well, we're going to see how this works, Jill. We're going to see how many reviews we get in the next 24 hours. <laughs> All right, everybody. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>